Hi everyone, and welcome back to the ESG Agenda. Setting the scene as we head into autumn is Nathan Fabian, Chief Investment Officer at the UN-backed Principles for Responsible Investment, or PRI. As its name implies, the PRI provides responsible investment guidelines for pension funds, institutional investors, and private equity funds. Its signatories now represent $100 trillion in assets under management. I thought it would be great to speak to Nathan because, in addition to his day job, he was also a member of the European Commission's Technical Expert Group on Sustainable Finance. Over the last two years, he worked with industry experts, investors, banks, academics, and NGOs on designing what the Commission has called a taxonomy regulation, which aims to eliminate greenwashing, where the funds are marketed as green or sustainable when they're not. It's the first time a global regulator has designed a labeling system for what counts as a sustainable financial product. This is really important when we consider the explosive growth in sustainable investments. According to Morningstar, assets in sustainable mutual funds globally reached an all-time high of $1 trillion during the second quarter of 2020, with total assets allocated to ESG funds now reaching $34 trillion. In order to push companies and investors to do more than just talk about being sustainable and actually commit to linking their sustainability goals with financial goals, the taxonomy sets criteria for more than 70 economic activities across seven sectors to help standardize environmental disclosure. So what does that mean? Under the rules, any EU-listed company with more than 500 employees will have to disclose how much of its revenues are based on activities that are environmentally friendly. Large fund managers will also have to calculate how much of their portfolios qualify for the green standard. At the moment, the taxonomy is set to apply in 2022, although there are recent suggestions that it might be delayed. Nathan discusses why we need precise definitions of what funds can label themselves as green, and the PRI's role in helping investors align financial returns with good environmental performance. For the first time, investors can sit down and have a very concrete conversation with a company and say, well, how much of your performance is green today? And by when will the rest be green? Nathan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Amelia. My pleasure to be here. What were European policymakers trying to achieve when they set out writing this green taxonomy? I think, as you said in your opening, Amelia, there was concern around whether or not financial products were in fact green. We've seen enormous uh, growth or increase in the number of investment opportunities that are positioned this way. But European policymakers had an eye to the future. They could see that there's enormous interest and need, if you like, to have an environmentally aligned economy in future, and that there must be support, financial investment and support for transition to this future economy. They wanted some standardization because that supports markets to grow and grow quickly. But they also needed to make sure there was trust or integrity now, for PRI, as an organisation supporting investors to incorporate ESG factors into practices, this is a great interest to us. And we need to support our investors uh, to improve and align their practices to try and maximise this alignment of financial returns and good environmental performance. And so if one of the major markets in the world is heading this way, then PRI has got an interest to make sure that these are good standards. Who would you like to see be the first adopters of the taxonomy? Well, we think that companies that know they have a good story to tell because they've got a clear strategy on sustainable performance 
we expect, in fact, we're already seeing on a voluntary basis, they're preparing their disclosures immediately because it supports their positioning. Most people in business and investment have underestimated the level of potential impact from climate events and disruption of climate system. And so that adaptation criteria that are there can be used by any company today. And really it is in the interests of companies to use those criteria to help them prepare. And so we hope those adaptation criteria are used by all companies in the economy. Under the EU taxonomy then, what is construed as an environmentally sustainable activity? If you want to be accurate, you have to be specific to the different sectors. And this is why it takes some time to develop the criteria because you've got to study every sector and its technology and its practices very specifically. So in the electricity sector, if you generate electricity, it's 100 grams of emissions per kilowatt hour. If you are in the transport sector and you make light commercial vehicles or passenger cars, it is 50 grams of emissions per passenger kilometer, reducing to zero by 2025. If you're in the agriculture sector, it's very hard to measure these emissions precisely. And so we've got practice-based criteria. So are you using the best techniques possible? And can you disclose that and make it transparent? Then of course, there are the other environmental objectives inside the taxonomy also need criteria. So companies that contribute to protecting water systems that reduce pollution, that reduce waste or support waste prevention, or that support healthy ecosystems and biodiversity. Companies that perform activities that contribute to those environmental objectives will also be considered as being a taxonomy aligned so that the companies can call themselves green for the proportion that meets the criteria as well. So there's still a lot of opportunity here for basically more sectors and more companies to say that they have some green performance than has ever been the case. And of course, that's consistent with the objective, which is to support a flourishing and growing green economy. It kind of reminds me of the way that SASB has taken a very sector-specific approach to financial materiality and how it helps companies be very specific about their financially material ESG activities. Exactly right. We've recognized, I think, for some time now that different sectors have their own ESG issues and their own most material questions financially, as in it's relevant with the SASB approach. But when it comes to environmental performance, the sectors, there are different issues that need to be considered and a different level of materiality from an environmental performance perspective. And so this is the equivalent on the environmental performance side, if you like. That's how the taxonomy compares and is different to the SASB criteria. Let me ask you a practical question. When I speak to companies, they are faced with the frameworks like the SDGs or TCFD standards like uh, SASB or GRI, and then the ratings agencies. Where does the taxonomy fit in with that? How can they use the taxonomy? So the taxonomy is a way to describe what's happening from an environmental perspective in practice. So all the frameworks you mentioned support financial risk decisions. And they're important because they anticipate some future change in regulation or pricing or consumer demand, and they're trying to get companies to think about the financial implications. So the taxonomy is a complement to those other frameworks, but they really, really just focus on how good is your environmental performance. So the taxonomy metrics can be used as part of the TCFD framework, 
to describe how a business is changing over time to, to be aligned with future climate scenarios, for example. And so even though it will feel like, oh, this is yet another framework, this one draws, it sort of complements the financial risk story to give us a whole picture. It gives us, supports the financial risk story, but it tells us the environmental performance story as well. Let's apply this to a real world situation. Under the new taxonomy, if an investor is running a sustainable fund, but it holds an oil and gas company in it, albeit one like BP, which has announced a shift in focus toward renewables, would that be considered a violation of its you know, green or sustainable credentials? Yeah, definitely not. And this is the important point that the taxonomy is for all companies and all sectors. So it would be reasonable to give an example to promote a sustainable fund and say, our strategy is to increase our exposure or our investments in sustainable activities over time. So I try and sell the fund to you today and I have to tell you that 10% of the underlying activities or the exposures of the fund meet the criteria. But then my strategy over the life of the fund is to increase that to 30 or 40%, let's say over a five year period. So now you know exactly what the sustainability performance level is in the fund. And I can hold any company that I want to try and make that shift uh, to, to increase it from a low number to a much higher number. And then I can claim that that's why I call the fund sustainable because I'm trying to increase the exposure to sustainable activities. So that's how envisage the taxonomy can be used. It's how most people will use it. And we think that's entirely proper. So PRI has over 3,000 signatories representing 100 trillion in institutional assets under management. What do they need to do with this information? So the first thing is to ask who will have to report. And any one of our signatories who issues a financial product in Europe will have to make a disclosure about whether their underlying investments are aligned with the taxonomy criteria or not. And so we expect that's well over a third of our signatories will have to consider making a disclosure. Once they've worked that out, then the question is, well, where do you get the data to do this? These criteria are new. Companies have reported their emissions footprint in the past, but they haven't necessarily reported the intensity, energy or emissions intensity of their activities before in a widespread way. And so thankfully the policymakers have helped us here because for around 7,000 listed companies in Europe, there is also a company level disclosure obligation. And those companies will have to disclose that a proportion of their turnover that meets the taxonomy criteria. Now, for a lot of European issued financial products, the disclosures of those 7,000 companies will contribute an awful lot of data. And so that's going to be the main source of the data for the investor disclosures. But in addition, a lot of the ESG ratings companies have been publishing green revenues data for some time. And these models are being updated now to reflect the taxonomy criteria. And so it will be possible to get a report with essentially taxonomy aligned turnover from the ESG ratings companies and investors will be able to apply that to their portfolios to meet their disclosure obligations. Now we recognize that some asset classes will be a bit harder, uh, for example, private equity and real estate and infrastructure, but we just expect that uh, good old investor demand will have to drive that one. And whose responsibility within the institution is it to report this disclosure and to gather the data? 
Yeah, so those responsibilities will probably fall to different people. So the legal obligation sits on the product disclosure. So wherever the financial product, the fund that can be invested in is promoted, that is where the disclosure must sit. Uh, and so really it's the marketing and the product design and those roles who will have to be very mindful about what they have to communicate. The data collection will sit on the the portfolio or the product construction side. So whoever's designing uh, the investment strategy and who's responsible for, collect, for collecting the data about the performance of the fund will need to provide that information on to their other colleagues. Many of these data requirements go way beyond what companies currently process. How do you think these gaps in the data will be filled? So the legal obligation for companies will force a lot of data into the market by the start of or early 2022. So that's a really good starting point. It might be a new practice to report on activity-based intensity, but getting that data is not going to be as complex as it might first seem. For example, a car manufacturer will know whether or not they have any zero emissions cars in their fleet, in their offering to the market. And a steel production company will know whether or not they meet the threshold, which in this case is the top 10% benchmark in the EU emissions trading scheme. And so the companies will know their performance levels. Aggregating and reporting the data will be new, but it's not going to be that hard in most cases to work it out. I think the complexity arises around if you have a very long international supply chain and you've got companies operating in other markets that don't have the reporting obligation, then that's going to introduce some complexities and, and delays potentially. And there's this component of the taxonomy called do no significant harm, which says in addition to, say, making a substantial contribution to climate mitigation goals, you also have to do no significant harm to other environmental factors like pollution and the health of water or biodiversity. And so that's going to require a new level of reporting and data that people have not really been used to doing. And that's where we see most of the challenges in the first couple of years. I'm no lawyer, but isn't the word significant, do no significant harm, a bit subjective? Well, it is until we, we provide these criteria, and that's the whole purpose. So essentially, the law on the taxonomy will have thresholds to apply in every case. And so significant will be defined. So what do you think will be the next steps in European regulation of the financial industry? So it's really interesting what Europe's doing. They are taking a comprehensive view of the financial system function and they're looking across the different actors and the different ways they interact with say customers to work out what should be tuned or, or modified in the way the system works and so we've got reforms on foot to investor duties which will require consideration of ESG issues as a mandatory requirement we've got obligations for financial advisors and planners which will require the asking of a, a client whether or not they have any preference on sustainability. And if there is a preference, a product that has sustainable characteristics must be offered. We've also got reporting obligations for banks as financial corporations to disclose their performance, say, on the taxonomy criteria. And these are still under development as we speak. So these are just samples of what are is really a sort of comprehensive set of reforms 
to try and better align financial actor or financial system function with sustainability goals. And so when Europe says we've got a green new deal, we want our economy to be green, they know that the finance is coming from the private sector. And so you need to make sure that the, the duties or obligations, the reporting, the standards, the disclosure obligations, the customer service processes are all aligned to make sure that finance can flow to green activities. And so it's really a comprehensive set of reforms we're seeing. But do you believe there's enough market cap in the companies that are doing the activity you want to encourage to sustain the investment you're seeking to generate, for example, renewable energy? Yes, yeah, so this is a potential area of misconception. Ultimately, we need all companies to meet the taxonomy criteria. Now, they may, of course, a service company might have no substantial environmental footprint. So a large part of the economy is kind of neutral for our purposes here. But anything with a substantial environmental footprint, we need the, all the companies, all the sectors to align with these criteria over time. So we're not just talking about a green niche here. We're talking about the heart of the industrial economy ultimately needs to transition to meet these criteria. Now, a typical company in an industrial sector today might have a very low proportion of their activities that meets the criteria in the taxonomy. But over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, if they want to contribute to environmental goals and not, you know, not face more harsh regulation, environmental pricing and, and taxation, then they're going to have to make 100%. So this is a transition story as much as it is as only picking the companies that are already there. So how do you think the taxonomy might be abused? So one of the concerns that some have raised uh, is that this kind of clear criteria might stop people from thinking. It might stop them trying to make their own informed judgment about whether a company can be improved over time, if it's just a low number, uh, in terms of its taxonomy alignment today, then it should be discarded. Whereas actually that company might have a really good green strategy, it might have great capital expenditure plans and good competency to shift to be a really a star company in a low carbon economy. And so that, that's not an abuse per se, but someone would say, well, isn't this instrument too blunt? Because it might stop people thinking. I, I think in practice, what will happen is that the people use the taxonomy as a transition tool. So for the first time, investors can sit down and have a very concrete conversation with a company and say, well, how much of your performance is green today? And by when will the rest be green? Or how much of it will be? And disclose using these criteria that we can agree as a sort of a common language or a common benchmark. And so we think in practice, it should drive some deeper analysis and a much more focused conversation on what transition looks like in practice. And so hopefully these concerns about it being a blunt instrument that leads to sort of non-thinking responses doesn't come true in practice. So what's your sense of how this might inspire other regulators to do something similar? Where do you think this could go from a global regulatory perspective? Well, we actually think it's a very appealing idea for regulators. I mean, we just have to take a step back and look what's happening here. We've been struggling ever since carbon pricing didn't turn into a sort of a globally harmonized regime to price emissions. Ever since that time, the market's been struggling. What are we talking about here? How fast should we shift? Who's responsible for what level of emissions reductions? And we've been, 
in this very difficult period for you know well over a decade i'd say but this idea is so appealing in its simplicity and that is let's just say what level of environmental performance is aligned with the goal say of the paris agreement which is the basis of these climate goals let's just say exactly what it is and then let the market make their own decisions about what they're going to do and so this idea is very appealing and so we see at last count 10 11 new taxonomies being developed in markets around the world the world bank has issued guidance on harmonization of green taxonomies so this very sort of fundamental and, and appealing idea is very popular and so we think most countries will want their own the risk there of course is you end up with fragmentation and investors mm. would be really concerned if we had 10 different taxonomies so 10 different versions of what's green that will be a problem and so we in the TEG and in fact we at PRI serving global investors are, are most concerned to make sure that these taxonomies are harmonized that people can understand if there are differences why there are differences and so it's not sort of a, an opaque market which is kind of what we've got now and that must also take into consideration different political regimes and definitions um, within different countries of what green looks like yeah that's right and so there's a really simple way to cut through this and and that is to say well what is the country's emissions reduction goal or a nice comparative way to say it is what's their net zero target year now any country that has a net zero target year of 2050 and there are many that do uh, their criteria are going to be roughly the same as Europe's because the criteria are designed to meet net zero by 2050. If you are, say, India or Sri Lanka or even China, and you say, well, our net zero emissions year is actually going to be after 2050 because we need to make up for lack of uh, past industrial development by having more emissions for an extra few decades, then you can set criteria with say a net zero year of 2070 or 2080 or whatever it is. And then an investor will know exactly why it's different. So the key issue is really just have a really clear environmental goal and then investors will be able to compare. Fantastic. That is very informative and really helpful. Thank you, Nathan, for joining us. It's a pleasure, Amelia.